And with that, please make sure you have your Bibles out. Uh, This week, I want to remind you also, it's a good idea to have a piece of paper and a pen or pencil to jot down some notes along the way. This is going to be kind of a review, in a sense, of the book of Jonah. We'll be introducing some new uh, insights as well. Uh, But we want to make sure that you get the most important things gleaned from this study of the book of Jonah. So do have your Bibles out and a pen or pencil with some paper to jot down some notes along the way. In 2015, country artist Jimmy Fortune released his hit single that was called If I Was God. And the lyrics to that song are pretty interesting. They go like this. If I was God, I'd never let my best friend leave for work that night. And he'd never gotten T-boned at that four-way traffic light by some drunk. If I was God... I'd never let that cancer take away my dad. And I'd added at least 40 to the 60 years he had. He could know my kids. Verse 2. If I was God, yeah, I'd show up in all my glory every now and then. And no one would have a choice to question if I am. As if I cared. If I was God, I'd make sure that The devil got his share of the blame and there'd be hell to pay if someone said my name in vain. Wouldn't that be fair if I was God? Well, two years later in 2017, Roger Waters, uh, who's best known for being co-founder of the 70s rock group Pink Floyd, he wrote a song of his own with a similar theme. It was called Deja Vu. And the lyrics in his song are a little bit more... Odd. Here are those lyrics. If I had been God, I would have rearranged the veins in the face to make them more resistant to alcohol and less prone to aging. If I had been God, I would have sired many sons and I would not have suffered the Romans to kill even one of them. If I had been God with my staff and my rod, if I had been given the nod, I believe I could have done a better job. Well, Roger Waters, I hate to break it to you, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have done a better job. But, you know, when we think of these lyrics from Jimmy Fortune and Roger Waters, it does bring up an important point. Many of us have come to those points in our lives where we ask this question. Why doesn't God do things differently? We've asked that question, haven't we? Why doesn't God do things differently? How could a loving God allow my dad to die of cancer? How could a loving God allow my best friend to be killed by a drunk driver? If God is all knowing like the Bible says he is and he knows what's going to happen ahead of time, then why on earth does God allow rapists and human traffickers and mass murderers to even be born? It doesn't make sense to us. And most of us would never say it out loud, but we've probably mumbled it under our breath at times. If I had been given the nod, I believe I could have done a better job. Well, during his lifetime, I'm sure that the prophet Jonah had plenty of shining moments when he listened to God's voice and did the will of God obediently. But we don't read about those in the book of Jonah. 
We don't read about his, his bright moments. We're given in the book of Jonah four chapters detailing Jonah at his absolute worst. Jonah's life is not given in total in the book of Jonah, just this small portion of his life when he was at his worst. It was a time when he didn't trust God or obey God. And even when he did come to his senses and obey God, his heart wasn't in it. He was just going through the motions and giving God his bare minimum. You see, Jonah believed that God was wrong. At this point in his life, he believed that God was dead wrong. He believed that God was dead wrong when he chose to give a message to the evil people of Nineveh. And because Jonah believed God was wrong in that, Jonah believed God was wrong when he called Jonah to go and preach that message to the people of Nineveh. And then Jonah, when he went and preached that message and God turned from his plan to wipe out Nineveh and God relented and showed them compassion and forgiveness instead, Jonah felt that God was especially wrong. He thought that God was off his rocker, that God had completely lost it. It was insane for God to forgive such an evil people who would one day wipe out the northern nation of Israel. As we read Jonah chapter 4, we can almost hear Jonah echoing those words. If I had been given the nod, I believe I could have done a better job. This morning, we're going to take a final look at the book of Jonah, taking a closer look at what it reveals about God and what it reveals about you and me. So I'm calling this message today, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. As we've clearly seen over the past month, Jonah is not a whale-centered book. It's not a man-centered or even a city-centered book. It is a God-centered book. It tells the true story of a merciful and loving God who cares deeply for the souls of every person on earth, including you. God's love for lost and dying sinners is on full display in the book of Jonah. Some might call God's love naive or reckless or even crazy, but God doesn't seem to care because God so loved the world. He loves lost and dying people. He loves lost and dying sinners, despite how crazy that may seem to us at times. So here's our mission today. We're going to read the book of Jonah together, all four chapters. Surprisingly, from start to finish, you read these four chapters out loud. It takes less than seven minutes to read. So we're going to read the book of Jonah out loud. I want you to follow along in your Bibles as we read. And as we read, I want you to pay careful attention to what these four chapters reveal about God. And I want you to pay careful attention to what these chapters reveal about Jonah. Because once again, I am Jonah. You are Jonah. All of us at some point or another are Jonah. So let's pay attention as well to what this great book says about the prophet Jonah. So we are in Jonah chapter one, beginning in verse one. Please follow along as I read the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down the earth beneath me. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. 
Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at, at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? May God bless us as we study his word today. We can turn off that switch over there. And it'll keep that from rattling. So you'll have fan noise, but it's probably better than the metal rattling. There are so many wonderful insights that we can pull from these four chapters. So over the next few minutes, I'd like to share with you ten insights. Some of these are new. We haven't talked about them yet in our study of Jonah over the last few weeks. And some of these will be ones that are familiar to you because we have touched on them. Over the past month, and I want to share with you over the next few minutes, five insights about God and five insights about Jonah. In other words, five insights about you and me. And so let's start with those five insights about God. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot these down. Insight number one about God. Here is how God consistently works in human history. When a nation doesn't repent God judges it. But when a nation truly repents, God has mercy on that nation. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, some 500 years before Jonah was a glimmer in his mama's eye, Moses was there on Mount Sinai 
there where he was going to receive the Ten Commandments for the second time. And God reveals himself early in that encounter with Moses. He reveals himself in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 by saying this. I am the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet I do not leave the guilty unpunished. God told the people of Israel plainly how he works. He judges and punishes unrepentant sinners, but he is gracious to and forgives Nations that turn from their sin and truly repent. God never said that this rule of thumb applies only to Israel. He he never said that it applies only to his chosen nation. It's global. It applies to any nation at any time. So does this truth about God apply to China in 2021? Yes, it does. If China, and particularly China's leaders, were to turn from their sin, repent, and start walking in obedience to God's commands, God would have mercy on China. If China refuses to turn from its sin and continues to rebel against God, then God will bring judgment to China. Sooner or later, judgment will come. It doesn't matter how big and how powerful the nation appears to be. Does this Rule of thumb, does this law, this principle revealed here in Exodus chapter 34 apply to North Korea, to Iran? Does it apply to Afghanistan? Yes, yes, and yes. If those nations truly follow God's laws and turn from their sin, God will show them mercy and forgiveness. If they stay entrenched in their sin and refuse to repent, God sooner or later will bring judgment to those nations. And now let's get a little closer to home. Does this rule that God lays down here in Exodus 34, does it apply to the United States of America? Well, many Christians believe that America has been given favored status with God. Many believe that God cuts America a lot more slack than he cuts other nations. Biblically, that is not true. Does this apply to America? Absolutely, it applies to America. So if America repents of its sin, if repent, if America and particularly America's leaders turn from our violence, particularly violence against the unborn child, if we turn from our violence, if we turn from our sexual perversion, and that includes this horrible divorce rate across our nation, it includes the horrible rate at which uh, unmarried individuals are having premarital sex, the rate at which married individuals are having adulterous affairs, the sexual perversion uh, peddled by the porn industry, all of that, if we repent of that, if we repent of the violence, if we repent of the, the smut and the other things we peddle around the world, then God will have mercy on America. But if we do not repent of those things... God's word is very clear. Judgment is coming sooner or later. God will bring judgment to the United States of America. And so it's critical. It is critical that we pay attention to what God says here. God will bring judgment on nations that refuse to repent. But God will bring mercy on those that do repent. Insight number two. God can't be trusted to hate the people we hate or be prejudiced against the people we're prejudiced against. 
Now, in Christian circles, we talk a lot about how God is faithful and how God is trustworthy. And that is certainly true. In so many ways, God is faithful and God is trustworthy. But we don't like to talk about this dirty little secret. There are certain ways where God is completely untrustworthy. And I believe the book of Jonah touches on some of these ways. I want you to think about it. You can't trust God to be angry at the people you're angry at. You can't trust God to kick to the curb the people you've kicked to the curb. And you can't trust God to send people to hell who you think should go to hell. Right? We like to have people around us who we can trust to think like us and to be upset when we're upset and to be angry when we're angry and to hate when we hate. But if that's what you're expecting from God, I've got news for you. You're barking up the wrong tree because God ain't like that. God doesn't play that game. You're going to be very disappointed with God because he doesn't think like you think and God doesn't act like you act. He reveals to us in Isaiah chapter 55 something that's just marvelous about his character and his person. It says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. God doesn't think like we think. He doesn't act like we act. He doesn't get angry as quickly as we get angry. He doesn't hold grudges like you and I hold grudges. So if you're looking for a God who can be trusted to think like you think and hold petty grudges like you, the God of heaven and earth is not for you. And while we're on the subject, God also can't be trusted to keep your life simple and comfortable and easy. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, chances are he'll make your life at times uncomfortable and difficult and really, really complicated. Which brings us to insight number three about God. God will always care more about people's souls than he cares about your comfort and your happiness. For Jonah, this lesson was hard to learn. And for many of us, it's hard to learn as well. God didn't put you on this earth to be comfortable. That's not why you're here. And Jesus didn't save you from your sins so you'd be happy. That's not why Jesus spilled his blood for you. God put you on this planet and saved you from your sins so that you could join him in his greatest mission of all time to save lost souls from the grip of hell by leading them to Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. Not to be comfortable, not to be happy. God isn't as shallow as we are. We tell people we care about, I just want you to be happy. God doesn't say that to people he cares about. God says, right now, I'm not interested in your happiness. Right now, I'm interested in your obedience. There will be plenty of time to be happy in heaven. But for now, I want you to help me seek and save the lost. And ultimately, when you're in heaven for all eternity, you will look around and you will be really happy because you'll see all sorts of people there in heaven that are there because you invited them. Amen. Amen. Insight number four about God. Unlike Jonah, God was willing to lose face and be misunderstood for the good and salvation of others. 
In our study of Jonah chapter four last week, we talked a little bit about how Jonah was more concerned with what his friends back home thought of him than what God thought of him. In all likelihood, Jonah was concerned about his reputation when his fellow Jews found out that he had a part in bringing about the deliverance of their greatest enemy, Assyria. Jonah's life might suddenly have become very, very uncomfortable. Without a doubt, back home, he would have lost face. And to Jonah, losing face back home was worse than 120,000 Ninevite souls going to hell. Jonah was so much different than God. Most of you probably remember the prophecies about Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, Probably the best known prophecy from Isaiah 53 is in verse 5 where it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. That's a marvelous prophecy about the crucifixion. Of Jesus Christ. But listen to this prophecy about Christ just a few verses earlier over in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. It says this His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. What a contrast between Jonah on one hand and Jesus on the other. Jonah was all about looking good and saving face with his friends and family back home. But not Jesus. Jesus willingly submitted to being humiliated and completely disfigured for those who spat in his face, pounded him across the head and nailed him to a cross. He was completely disfigured for those who would completely shame him, ruin his good reputation and kill him. Jesus lost face and was completely misunderstood and slandered, but he was okay with that. Because it was for the ultimate good and salvation of others. Amen. Finally, insight number five about God. God is Yahweh Yireh, a.k.a. Jehovah Jireh. He is our great provider. We've seen this throughout the four chapters of the book of Jonah, that God has shown himself to take care of the needs of his own. To provide for people's needs. In chapter 1, God provides a big storm and a big fish to get Jonah back on track. In chapter 2, God provides grace and He provides salvation for Jonah who was on the brink of death. In chapter 3, God provides both Jonah and the people of Nineveh with a second chance. And in chapter 4, God provides Jonah with a shade plant. And then He provides him with a worm and a scorching east wind to teach him a very important lesson about priorities. Now, notice some of these things that God provided for Jonah, Jonah appreciated appreciated and liked. Other things that God provided, Jonah didn't care for so much. But God always provides for His own. What they need. Sometimes they need something that is pleasant. Sometimes they need something that is unpleasant. God is Yahweh Yireh, our great provider. God provided Jonah with everything he needed. And he will provide you with what you need as well. Whether you like it or not. Well, those are the five important insights that stand out to me from the book of Jonah about God. Now let's switch gears and take a quick look at five insights about us that we can draw from the book of Jonah. Insight number one. 
Like Jonah in chapter one, we are running from God in one way or another. Jonah spent all of chapter one running from God. In his case, he was running from God's command in verse two of chapter one to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Do you know where that old city of Nineveh is today? The city has been renamed, but there is a city in that exact location today. Guess what it is? It is Mosul, Iraq. So let me ask you, as we are Jonah, is God calling us, is God calling you to get a plane ticket to Iraq and go to Mosul and preach against that city? The message that God gives you. Is that what God's calling you to do today? Probably not. But God is giving you commands for sure. God is calling you to go and and do other things. He's calling you to share Christ with those in your circle of influence and invite them to church. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that one? Sharing Christ with those in your circle of influence and inviting them to church. How are you doing with that one? Are you running from God? God is calling you to give up your addictions to money and possessions and alcohol and porn. How are you doing with that one? Are you running from God? God is calling you to love and learn and serve him every day of your life. How's that one going? Are you running from God? No, we may not be called by God to go to Mosul, Iraq, to preach against it. But don't make the mistake of thinking That we don't run from God because we do. Like Jonah in chapter one, we're running from God in one way or another. And it's time to stop running. Insight number two about us. Oftentimes, the only Christian in the room is the most disobedient person in the room. Sadly, we can be very slow to obey. I've got a question for you. Who was the most mature follower of God in all the book of Jonah? By that, I mean, who is the one that knew God the best, knew his word the best and had served God the longest? Hands down, it was Jonah, wasn't it? So think about this for a moment. When Jonah was starting to run from God and he was in that port city of Joppa, buying that ticket to board a ship to head 2,500 miles west to Spain. When he was in that port city of Joppa, who was the most mature follower of God in that city? Most likely it was Jonah. When he was on that ship out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea running from God, he was surrounded by all those pagan sailors and that pagan captain. Who was the most mature follower of God on that ship? Most likely Jonah. Over in chapter, uh, let's before we even get to chapter four, chapter two, he's inside the belly of a fish underneath the surface of the Mediterranean Sea. In all of that great sea, in that great span, span of ocean there, who was the most mature creature following God? Once again, it was Jonah. And then over in chapter four, as he's sitting under a bush outside the city of Nineveh, who was the most mature seasoned follower of God in Nineveh County. Once again, it was Jonah. So what am I getting at? I'm getting at this. Just because you're the most mature Christian in the room doesn't mean that you consistently act like it. Jonah was hands down the most mature follower of God in the entire book, but he acted like a petulant 
spiteful child throughout most of those four chapters. So just because you've been a Christian a long time, just because you know the word of God better than most people in the room, just because you've gone to more church services and sat under more biblical teaching than anyone else around you, doesn't mean that you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing what is more right than the person next to you. It doesn't even mean you're more moral than the person next to you. Sadly, so often Christians who should be the most mature and the most godly and the most moral and the most obedient are the slowest to obey. Never forget, in God's kingdom, the shortest distance between two points is obedience. Now, insight number three. Like Jonah in chapter four, quite often our priorities are screwed up. Oftentimes we care more about our comfort and our reputations than we care about people. God's final word to Jonah at the end of chapter 4 is so good. In his loving yet direct way, God points out to Jonah that he was more concerned about a plant than he was about 120,000 human souls. And even though we don't like to admit it, sometimes our priorities are just as screwed up as Jonah's were. Sometimes we get upset by a little extra traffic on D Street. Because some homeless guy is jaywalking across the street and we're more upset about the traffic than we are about the homeless guy being homeless. Sometimes we are more concerned about our our comfort level when it comes to the church offering some sort of outreach. Instead of attending the outreach, we choose to do something, anything other than having to go out with others in the church and talk to strangers about Jesus. That's like anathema to us. Oh, no. I don't want to do that. I've got to find some excuse to do anything else, anything other than that. Oh, so often we have priorities, but they're not God's priorities. Like Jonah in chapter four, we prioritize all sorts of things that aren't priorities to God. Insight number four, God wants us to have a heart like his A heart filled with mercy and love for lost and dying people like Jesus. He wants you and me to seek and save the lost. Amen. We talked about this our very first week of this study. God wants you and me to seek and save the lost. When we step out of the church building, this is God's highest priority for you and me. His highest priority. So number one reason he wants you out in the world, the number one reason he wants you in your family, the number one reason he wants you in your workplace or in your school or in your neighborhood is to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's job one. Jesus saved us and placed us here in the Victor Valley to seek and save the lost. Finally, insight number five, Jesus Christ has given salvation and grace to you so that he could give salvation and grace through you. Every gift you've received from God has been given to you to be shared with others. We talked about this last week. Nothing in your possession is really yours. It's all on loan from God. Just for a short time to be used for His glory and for the good of others. That includes those gifts and those talents and those abilities and those skills God has given to you. They're not for you. They're to be shared with others. Jesus Christ has freely given you material possessions so that you can share those with others, whether it's your home or your car, your clothes, your shoes, your money, whatever. Jesus Christ has freely given you knowledge 
of his word and knowledge of him personally, not for you just to keep that to yourself, but for you to share it with others. Jesus has given you all of the wonderful compassion that you have needed and given you his kindness and given you his love and given you his forgiveness so that you in turn could share that compassion and that love and that forgiveness and that kindness with those around you. As we ended last week, I want to end on the same way this week. Freely, Jesus Christ has given to you. So he's asked you to freely give to others. Freely you have received. Freely you must give. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for freely giving to us every bit of mercy and kindness and grace and forgiveness that we needed. Thank you for this great book of Jonah and all that we've learned about you, O God. That your ways are not like our ways. Your thoughts are not like our thoughts. You don't hate who we hate. You don't resent who we resent. You don't have a short fuse with those we have a short fuse with. Lord, we thank you. That you are distinct from us. That you are better than us. Forgive us for our arrogance thinking. I could do a better job than you if I was God. Lord, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We could never do better than you. So help us, Lord, in faith to trust you, to follow your lead, to walk in obedience to your commands. Help us to not be like Jonah in chapter one, running from God. Help us to not be like Jonah in chapter four, running against God. Help us, Lord, like Jonah in chapter two, to run to you. And like Jonah in chapter 3, to run with you for the glory of God and the good of others and the advancement of your kingdom, Lord Jesus, here on earth. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, but uh, I hope that you were blessed by that message. And I hope that you jotted down those ten insights, five about God, five about us, uh, because there's so much from these four little chapters that God wants us to take with us from here until our dying day when he calls us home. There's so much rich fruit in the book of Jonah. I hope that you'll continue to meditate on these insights and be changed by them. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want to invite you to make that decision today. We like to share the ABCs here at Impact. It's not complicated to become a follower of Jesus. It can be hard. But it's not complicated. The ABCs are A, admit that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior, Jesus Christ. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow Jesus Christ, to put him in the driver's seat of your life beginning today. Every day of your life, follow him until he calls you home. If you've made that decision today, we'd love to pray with you and talk to you about it. You can reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their names and phone numbers are at the bottom of your screen. You can either call them on the phone or text them either way. And they'd love to talk with you about how you can begin following Jesus Christ today. And we'd love to talk with you about setting up a time and place where you can be baptized in obedience to Christ's command. To make it clear to God, the angels, and anyone that's watching, you're serious about this decision to follow Jesus Christ from this point forward. Maybe you're with us and you're already a believer and follower of Christ and you just need prayer. 
reach out to one of our prayer counselors. We'd love to pray with you if that's a need you have today. But in the meantime, just want to say may God bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace as you walk in obedience to the commands of our great and awesome God, whose ways are higher than your ways, whose thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and his plans are better than your plans. Let's walk in trust and obedience to him until he calls us home to heaven. God bless you.